The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Good evening, my friends. It is the weekend, Saturday night. Time to talk money. That's what the show's all about. I am Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, my right-hand man, my wingman. Such a good fellow you are, Jack. Uh, got us one guest this evening, and uh, it's going to be a good show. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Drummond Brodeur. Uh, he's a Senior Vice President, Portfolio Manager, and Global Strategist uh, with uh, CI. CI is a large, successful Canadian fund company. They hire some of the finest minds to help manage money. Um, Mr. Brodeur has been in the industry since 1989. He's been with CI since 2007. Uh, great background uh, focusing on China, the Pacific Basin. Uh, and prior to CI, uh, he has experience overseeing international portfolios at KBSH Capital Management, uh, senior analyst with the Cade de the largest asset manager in Quebec, and being a portfolio manager at Bankers Trust in Australia. I, I, I just love the global um, resume you have there, uh, Drummond. You should be very proud of that. Uh, good evening, my friend, and welcome back to the show. Hey, Wolfgang, Jack, great to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Well, uh, being a uh, expert in the uh, Chinese market, uh, Chinese proverb, proverb, may you live in interesting times. Uh, do you not agree? 2022 is making for yet another interesting uh, investment year. Uh, and with that, how do you attack it? How, how do you strategically navigate uh, such a year when managing money? Uh, and again, just think about the average, uh, you know, uh, upperly mobile Torontonian, uh, if you will, as you're answering these questions, my friend. Yeah, no, look, uh, may you live in interesting times is absolutely correct. It's uh, <laughs> what, uh, what a year has been. It was always going to be an interesting year uh, coming into, uh, into 2022. Um, and uh, as I said, that was before. Uh, we sort of uh, then launched a war and uh, over in uh, in the Ukraine. So as I say, we were, uh, you know, when you look at the world today, um, it's just a gloomy, gloomy outlook. It's depressing uh, to oh, watch boy. the news. I mean, we you know, went from a pandemic. We were just trying to get out of that, reopen that. And then, as I say, uh, you launch a war uh, in, you know, right in Europe and, and, you know, in parts that we never thought we would see again. Uh, or, or at least in our time, uh, inflation hitting all-time highs, uh, interest rates rising. And then to top it off, all those upwardly mobile Trontonians were out shoveling snow in the middle <laughs> of April. Like, it, it, it's just really depressing. You're, you're taking it to grassroots level, man. That's good. Uh, so, but let's start with commodities. Um Tech Kaminko, I'm going to get granular here. Uh, large, large copper, zinc, coal producer uh, in, in Western Canada. Um, stock looks like it's had a triple top. Uh, we're trimming positions in that. Uh, so here we're actually selling against the trend because the trend is showing a lot of strength in all commodities. Uh, but these cyclical names, we have to remind ourselves, are just that. They are cyclical. So the, the, the burning question is, do commodities continue to run? Are we in a long stage otherwise known as a secular 
bull market in commodities that could in fact run for a 10 to 15 year period uh, based on global rethinking of supply chain management uh, and securing sec uh, longer term secure sources of uh, supplies and resources? Yeah, uh, look, that's a, that's, that's a great question. And that's, uh, I think there's an element of both to that, uh, uh, Wolfgang. I think we've definitely, um, as I say, that's you picked the one bright spot in uh, equity markets uh, to date, which has always been the commodity uh, space. Uh, although the rest have not been that bad, which we'll, we'll get around to. Um, and so the commodities have had a great run. Um, and in the short term, as you say, these things never move in, a, in one direction. It's you know, particularly cyclical. It's two steps forward, one step back. But I do think there is a bit of secular story in some areas of, uh, of the market. And that includes uh, even in the energy space, where they say energy security starts to become uh, more, of, uh, uh, more of an issue. And that's layered on top of uh, you know about a decade of underinvestment uh, in in energy from uh, the the belief that we were you know we're getting off energy we're moving to a post carbon society and it just can't happen that quickly uh, but it had led to uh, sort of significant underinvestment for a long time so even before the war uh, in uh, in in the Ukraine uh, we were looking at sort of very tight energy markets coming up which would take quite some time to uh, uh, to uh, uh, to uh, to get off, and the same with some of the industrial metals. That that the move to renewables, uh, to electrification of the uh, the fleet, etc. Uh, it is happening. It just plays out over decades, not years. And so it's also though very very commodity intensive. And uh, you you mentioned copper in there, so there's a number of young copper and lithium, a number of areas that demand is just going to be very very robust. Over the coming uh, over the coming decade, and that's where that more of that secular demand comes from. But these things will, in the short term, get ahead of themselves, uh, as they say. So taking taking some profits, looking for pullbacks, uh, it does make sense. And some of these just have been a uh, you know pretty good moonshot in the past uh, in the past uh, sort of a year or so. Uh, the energy services sector uh, again uh, underinvested in, uh, unloved for the last ten years. Uh, again, it looks like it's getting some attraction. Uh, Schlumberger uh, going to be reporting results uh, at the close uh, this evening. Uh, again, a name that we've been nibbling into. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's all about energy uh, independence. And again, more of it, therefore, being uh, extracted uh, in the Western world. Uh, how do you think that will play out for the next three to five years? I, I think that we're going to continue to see, as I say, right now, energy prices, you may come off the boil, oil price up at 100 bucks, um, north of 100 bucks. Um, but most equity prices are sort of factoring in more of something in the $60, $70 range, uh, according to my uh, energy guys. And uh, we still see that sort of uh, a tight supply dynamic. And we've still seen a very, you know, a, there's still a reluctance to increase supply. And even on the short cycle stuff uh, in the, uh, uh, and the Permian, the shale, uh, the shale space is, is uh, it, you know, which can be turned on quicker. There's still this sort of capital discipline from uh, a lot of the producers, uh, even as prices have spiked up as much as they have. So supply has been sort of very slowly, uh, sort of reacting to these elevated prices. And part of the reason, as well, quite frankly, in the on the energy on the services side, is trying to get labor, trying to get uh, like the uh, the other components one needs to ramp up uh, activity. Uh, is uh, is incredibly challenging. 
Um, so it's uh, it's leading them to sort of drag their feet, which means the supply response is deferred and drayed out, which means you know higher prices, uh, or it supports that sort of those, those higher prices for a little bit longer than uh, than has been in the past. But don't kid yourself in terms of the energy space. I mean, you know, capital discipline and respecting shareholders that's all good and dandy until you know the dam breaks and they're back to cowboys and saying let's go drilling again. So it's a cycle that you know, we've all seen play out. Over multitude of cycles, and I expect it will play out again. Uh, but I do think we've got um, we've had many years of underinvestment in in the uh, the long term stuff, uh, and now even the, the short cycle stuff has been a bit slow to respond. So it's uh, it, it 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 looks pretty good. And then the short term question is like, what happens with the Russia supply? Uh, are, are are we going to be taking a million dollars, the million barrels a day of supply off, or is it going to be four? Um, and uh, that's that's uh, a tough question. If it's in the million barrels a day range, uh, we're going to be able to sort of replace that from other sources, other areas. And, but there's just not spare capacity uh, if we are going to knock out four million barrels a day uh, out of uh, out of Russia. That will cause a much more uh, elevated, but with the upside. That you see in some forecasts that are saying you know 185 billion dollar oil prices, et cetera, is really contingent mm-hmm. on that knocking out Russia and it and not even that stuff finding backdoor ways back into the market. Yeah, I've always thought it would find a backdoor way into the market. Again, time will tell. Again, I just want to repeat something that you said. But if perchance that the the world uh, consumes four million barrels less of Russian crude. Crude could spike to up to 200 bucks a barrel. Wow. Let me put that caveat. That was just the latest headline I saw going through into my, in my inbox uh, recently today. And, you know, on these upsides, people always fall over themselves to get the higher, highest uh, oh. uh, highest number. So that is not a forecast I'm making. Those are just the sort of the numbers you're starting to see out there, which is you always do get that sort of uh, um, frenzy, feeding frenzy on it. So. Duly, duly noted, Drummond, duly noted. Uh, manias are fascinating to watch. World's got to eat. World's running out of this. World's re- nonsense. Uh, absolute nonsense. And Jackson, economist, uh, and he, he understands uh, the, the power of a substitute and the power of herd mentality at the same time. We are speaking with uh, Drummond Brodeur. Uh, he is a senior vice president, global strategist uh, with CI Funds. It's a delight to have him on the show uh, for its duration uh, this evening. Uh, Jack, uh, I just want to throw it to you for a quick sec. What's going through your mind as, as, as we're speaking here with Drummond? Give us a quick question before we hit the break and we'll get back to you on on the flip side just getting back to the energy space wolf it looks like opec and we talked about it yesterday in the office opec is back in charge of supply uh those, those shale producers aren't producing like we said and uh, it's really pinching those canadians at the pump and it's not just with uh at the pump it's because our canadian dollar typically would be much stronger in a in a strong energy environment and it's being held back by the, uh, the ukraine war so maybe we can talk to drummond after that uh let's do that Done. We're going to take a quick break uh, and get right back to uh, the Q&A fireside chat with a very smart man. Friends, he wants to tune into this type of stuff. Uh, this is what uh, pros do uh, on a nine to five basis. We work overtime, Jack and I. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto, each and every Saturday night. Any questions for Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com. Going to take a quick break and get right back with Drummond Broder. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is, black gold. Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is a place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbilly. That'd be a nice place to hang out. Eh? You wouldn't be shoveling snow. <laughs> little picking on a Saturday night. Uh, $200 a barrel crude. It is possible. I paid $2.17, $2.17 at the pump for some premium uh, just the other day. $2.17. Oh, well, first world problem that I do have. Many of them, I must say, and I'm blessed to have first world problems indeed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. We are all blessed. Eh? Alternative, being to Ukraine, flee the country. Uh, what's safe? What's a safe asset when you're fleeing a country? Your home has been demolished. Your car has been destroyed. Your family is in ruins. Uh, what is safe? You're going to take your bars of gold? Perhaps some. Um, but the irony is, you know, if you own shares in oil stocks, if you owned shares in bank stocks, those shares would still be registered to you no matter where you had to flee to. You would have wealth. Uh, the stock market's risky, is it? <laughs> it's got some advantages too, my friends. That's what this show is all about. Viewing the world from a different lens. Very important. Uh, Drummond Brodeur. Brodeur. I can't get your last name. I had it. Brodeur. There we go. Drummond Brodeur. Uh, famous hockey player. Famous goalie as well. Martin Brodeur. Correct? Jack? Yep. Absolutely. All right, there you go. Uh, Drummond's a global strategist. It's just a delight to have uh, such a big brain with a global view uh, on uh, money. Um and again, something we're going to pivot to from, we had a discussion about oil and uh, the, the, the dislocations and challenges around the commodity, uh, hence the opportunity for investors uh, who certainly purchased it correctly, which is early, not during uh, such a sharp rise, but in advance of. But let's talk about something else that has been going down for 40 years, going down for 40 years, I'll be the next song we play a little Springsteen, a little uh, Springsteen for you, Jack, going down. Uh, 20 years, 40 years. Uh, interest rates have gone down for 40 years. That trend is over. Over, over. I said over. Hit bottom, uh, interest rates are now on the rise. The question, and this is the question, because this, this matters more than anything else that we talk about on the show, is interest rates. Why? Because it's the cost of money. You have to always remind yourself, my friends, it's the cost of money. If money is cheap, which it has been, prices rise. Look no further than your neighbor's house or the house across the street. Why did that house rise? Because it's a beautiful house. Probably a piece of you-know-what. So many million-dollar homes in Toronto are crap. Why do they go up to a million dollars? Because of interest rates. So the question is, what is going to happen to asset prices if interest rates rise significantly? The question we have to ask ourselves is, how much? Do we think rates are going to rise? They already have risen a lot. You may not notice it yet, but they have off a very low base. Uh, Drummond, I'm sure you can give us some great answers as to what is going to happen to rates and uh, the central banks around the world. Yeah, and I think, as I said, Wolfgang, I think that's the question. And I think that is what's been driving markets 
more than uh, the headline news uh, of pandemics, wars, et cetera. It's been interest rate. It's been the Fed. What we've done in the course of the past uh, sort of three, four months is we've repriced the Fed. We have repriced the trajectory for interest rates. Uh, and I say the Fed, the U.S., but we've done the same here uh, in Canada. Uh, we've done the same over in Europe. And that has been what has been driving uh, markets more than anything else, the volatility that we have seen. Um, and as you said, after 40 years, we've had one of the most rapid reprice, like 40 years declining interest rates, this jump off zero. Let's face it, we got them pretty darn low, negative in Europe. Um, but this sort of jump up over the course of the past three months where we've now got the 10-year back up to 2.9, or so punching up against 3% again, has been one of the biggest uh, and fastest uh, repricing of, uh, of the rate structure that we've, that, that we've ever seen. Uh, and it's why, I'd say, bonds had a really, uh, you know, bonds underperformed equities in the first quarter, even as, uh, as bad as people felt out equities were, bonds were no safe haven because uh, it was driven by rising rates. But then the question is, how far are they going to go? And I think that's a key question. And uh, they can't go a whole lot further. Um, if we want to have, uh, you know, it took 40 years to get down to zero, you can't turn around and push interest rates up that fast because we've adapted. The economy has adapted to these low rates. So the pace that they can rise is going to be limited by the impact. Uh, and so I would say right now we've already repriced central banks getting interest rates back to neutral. Um, and so that excessive monetary policy, when they took overnight rates down to zero during the pandemic, um, we don't need it anymore. The economy is booming. You know, unemployment is booming. Inflation is booming. Uh, or not unemployment, but employment is booming. Uh, we don't need that support anymore. And so, you know, central banks are way behind the curve uh, with, uh, and we just started the rate increase. They got to get back to neutral ASAP. Neutral is that level where it's in monetary policy framework that says, Monetary policy level of interest rates is not providing any stimulus to the economy, nor is it really being a headwind. It's just that neutral rate where the economy can sort of grow at a sustainable pace. It's a bit like a unicorn. Okay, we know the neutral rate exists, but no one's ever seen it. You can't actually see it. You kind of got to feel your way towards it. Most central bankers believe the neutral rate is somewhere around 2 to 2.5% two on the overnight rate, and they're right now they're at sort of uh, – you know, 50 basis points. So we have another 200 plus basis points to go uh, at the short end. But interestingly, the curve has already priced that in. So I look when I look at the 10-year rate and uh, at other rates, I think we've already done most of the damage in the bond market for central banks that have to get back to neutral. Well, the U.S. thirty-year um, thirty was it the thirty-year fix, guys, uh, is is at five percent. Tony Dwyer, our chief strategist, has been talking about that. I think it's it's, it's at five percent, correct? The thirty-year U.S. fixed mortgage. You're talking, about, uh, you're talking about mortgages there. The thirty-year mortgage in the U.S. Correct. We, we, which again, the market. No, that, that's my point. The market has already adjusted to uh, the rising rates, so the market's already anticipated rates rising. Is is my point? The mortgage market has followed suit. Correct. Yeah. That, that is so, correct. And, th and that five-year mortgage rate, that, that's – and this is an important issue, Wolfgang, and this is an important issue for Canada because in the U.S., that five-year, 30-year uh, mortgage, like they're all 30-year fixed-rate mortgages. So you had, the, you had you know, rates down. They've, 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 uh, you know, they've doubled. You've boomed housing markets. Rates have gone up. Refi market's dead in the U.S. But if you have a 30-year fixed mortgage, when interest rates go up, your payments don't go up. So you hurt the new housing market, you hurt the refi market, so that slows activity, which is what you have to do to curtail inflation, that's what they're trying to do. 
Um, but you don't kill household balance sheets with existing mortgages. In Canada, as rates go up, we're a variable or maybe a five-year fix. The impact to Canadian households through the mortgage market is just going to be that much faster uh, and, and bite that much quicker than it is the U.S. And that's why I say rates can only go so far before they start to bite into slowing down the economy um, and, uh, and, and then you're killing off inflation or tipping over in a recession. So rates have a limit to how high they can go um, before they sort of jam the brakes onto the, uh, onto the economy. And right now, central banks are not trying to tip us into a recession. They're cognizant of what they're doing, but you have to wear interest rates is that tool that will be the headwind to slow down the economy going forward. And in Canada, the mortgage market is just that much more sensitive to those rate increases. You know, again, you 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 bring up a very valid point that I, that sort of slipped my 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 gray matter uh, in that yes, in the United States, if you are, have signed up for a thirty-year mortgage, it is a thirty-year mortgage. It, it does not renew every five or two years, let alone variable rate. Here in Canada, what's the longest term we can get on a mortgage in Canada? Is it seven years? I, I think you can stretch out to seven years. I think five is kind of the Five is the norm. Yeah. So every, so every five. So no, sorry, but so every five years, if yeah. rates go up, when you, when uh, your mortgage comes for renewal, you will be paying a higher rate. And again, Jack, you had the statistic uh, of the within the last five years, I believe seventy five percent of new mortgage applications were variable rate. Uh, and of course, if that is yeah, the case, they'll be yeah, most susceptible. Yeah, that, that I'm sorry, Jack. It used to be more people were taking on fixed mortgages, but with rates being so low uh, on the short end, as Drummond referenced, basically almost, it wasn't free, but pretty close. Um, people were taking the, I'm going to call it free money, one and a half percent floating rate mortgages, uh, not locking them in and um, and extending themselves, taking on as much credit as they could. And, um, you know, these central banks, Wolf and Drummond, when, when they raise rates, they have like, they have two tools. They can you know, uh, raise or lower interest rates, or they can buy bonds and they're very blunt tools. So when they go out and do it, they affect asset uh, prices dramatically. And uh, as Drummond's talking about, I think it'll affect the Canadian market more than the U.S. But just generally speaking, if there's not refinance going on in the U.S., it's just like the home credit lines in Canada. That's people were using their houses as as bank machines to go out and buy uh, discretionary items, which is obviously not the intent of them. But when credit is available, when liquidity is available, that's what people do. Central banks now are taking liquidity out of the market. So you have to look at how is it going to affect various asset classes. I already see well, I want to I want to stick stocks. I want to stick with the bond market for a second. Um, Drummond uh, Martin Reberge uh, is is one of our chief strategists. Uh, he's he's fantastic, uh, and if, I'm sure you, you've spent some time just seeing his work before. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, he said, "Well, if you may want to start to look at the bond market as a as, as a bit of an entry point here because it's been pretty crushed." Uh, and I said, "You know, below three percent, a bond does not interest me, especially with inflation running six percent. I'm still losing money." Uh, but again, with the rapid uh, increase of interest rates, when interest rates go up, friends at home, bonds go down. I repeat, if interest rates rise, bonds fall in value. And when interest rates fall, bonds go up in value. Uh, so uh, a bond is an asset class that should move just like your home. In other words, rates go up, uh, the asset should fall, rates go down, the asset should rise. But uh, I'm looking at an instrument, gentlemen and ladies, uh, called the TLT. Uh, it's the US uh, 20, 20 year treasury uh, ETF, and it can be traded as a very liquid instrument. And um, the ETF was trading at $180 uh, two years ago. 
Today it's trading at $120. This is a $60 or what a 25, 30% haircut uh, on a government bond portfolio. It's unbelievable. Um, again, the time to buy oil is when they're giving it away when it was zero. Uh, and oil was zero during the pandemic. I repeat, oil was free during the pandemic and oil stocks were, were, were representing that type of value. Most people weren't out there buying oil, but they should have been. Uh, hindsight, of course, is as 2020 as it can be. But here I present, again, a perhaps interesting technical chart, Drummond, uh, is that on the TLT, the chart looks very compelling to me. Um, uh, well, what are your thoughts? Would you, would you be nibbling into some bonds in here? If you underweight yeah. bonds and are looking for ballast, because again, the bond market hasn't provided ballast recently, but generally speaking, academically speaking, bonds provide ballast, security to a portfolio. I, so you said, yes, I can ask you a question again. Would you be buying the government bond market in here? And if so, what part of the curve would you buy? Yeah, so right now I am not scared to buy government bonds. I think they represent fair value. Um, and so I think in the next downturn, they're going to be reloaded that ability for a bond to provide some ballast or protection in a in a portfolio in the next downturn, I am still like you at three. I think rates are still going up, so I think I don't think they are the best relative value. I think equities will outperform at this stage, um, but at you know at one point five percent, they were way you know they were way below fair value. They didn't look like they made sense for bonds too expensive or rates too low. Today at three percent, I'm comfortable putting in. I don't think I'll lose money on bonds. From this stage forward uh and so yeah nibbling away depending on how what percentage they're in your portfolio right now i am comfortable doing that uh jack we're going to talk about that off uh, on air because uh, that just may be another move we have to make uh we're gonna take a quick break uh, and when we get back we're going to talk about the very exciting market of bonds not james stand by at 640 in toronto don't go anywhere there's more hi-fi radio in a moment on 640 toronto you're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Uh, the bond market, my friends. Bonds, bonds, bonds. Uh, yes, they're pieces of debt. Uh, you are lending an institution or an individual or a company money. You can lend to the government. You can lend to big companies like Coca-Cola. Uh, and you can lend to the banks. Uh, you can get involved in the private mortgage market. Uh, speaking of which, Jack, see, I, I, I speak out loud. I think out loud. I pop up a little question. We have not heard very much about the shadow banking market or the uh, secondary mortgage market. Um, gentlemen, please, Ichi, give me 30 seconds on your quick opinion on uh, that gray area of lending. Uh, what, what's happened to it in the last six months with rates on the uptick? We'll start with Jack. Sure. I would say, well, uh, people that are refinancing their banks or re refinancing their mortgage with traditional banks, they should be able to refinance. I don't expect it to be a problem. 
But, you know, if people are stretching themselves a little too thin, they're going to have to go to alternative lenders. And those alternative lenders, you know, if banks are lending on a five-year at 4%, uh, depending on your credit rating, uh, they're going to be, those rates will be rising as well. Drummond? What's what's your opinion on that market? Because I used to hear a lot about it. People say, you know, if I'm not buying stocks, my lawyer uh, can get me involved in these private mortgages. They pay 8%. They're they're um, uh, f- first rated. Uh, I'm first in line, uh, and then all of a sudden you hear you don't hear when the defaults kick in. Yeah, no, and look that, and that was a huge part of the last cycle, obviously, um, as we we are all aware of. Um, and uh, I, you know, it's, it it hasn't been back to any more anywhere close to the same degree of egregiousness that we had back then. Um, I don't follow it closely. I mean, our credit guys look at it. Mark, broad credit markets overall are very healthy functioning um there's uh you know plenty of demand plenty of supply so we're not hearing any stress points anywhere um, and even i was looking at now this is u.s data I was looking at but even the mortgage market a lot of the mortgage origination has been in more uh higher quality borrowers um uh in fact as opposed to the low quality side so there's been a big uptick in terms of the percentage of mortgages going to uh to uh, to better credits if you will now that's just the u.s data but it probably ties into with this whole notion of, uh, you know, in the pandemic, people moving out to the suburbs or, you know, buying other houses elsewhere. Um, it, 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 it's been a different animal than, uh, than, traditional, uh, than a traditional cycle has been. And I think that's fed through into part of the mortgage stats that we've seen. Once again, I'm basing that off U.S. data I've seen. Well, we, we, pretty similar. When, you, when you're talking about interest rates, you, you have to, of course, first and foremost, look at inflation and have... Uh, some kind of a opinion uh, as to what inflation is going to be doing over the near to long term. So I ask you, Drummond, uh, with inflation going from zero, you know, to deflationary speak three, four years ago, uh, deflationary talk four years ago to this hyper historic inflation that we're now all faced with, um, is the inflation of six plus percent permanent? Is it temporary? What's the new world order when we're speaking about rising prices? It's temporary. It's, it's, it will be rolling mm. over. Um, mm. Two comments I'd make is that anyone, like usually in economic systems, we think of terms of equilibria uh, when a system's in, uh, in balance. And there's nothing in balance about our system today. We're just basically staggering from one exogenous shock to the next one. You know, pandemic, <laughs> massive fiscal monetary stimulus, uh, <laughs> trying to reopen. Uh, having a war in there, like this is like a punch drunk uh, sort of boxer staggering, you know, from uh, from one uh, one uh, bout to the next. So um, it's, huh. it's a very dislocated uh, uh, system, which is why no one was really you know calling eight percent inflation uh, six months ago or these interest rates. So uh, it's we have to have a high degree of recognition that it, there's a huge degree of uncertainty. And telling people to recognize with any forecast, the first thing you should recognize with your forecast is it's wrong. Um, <laughs> and then start from there just because we can't, there's just too, way too many moving parts of just, you know, unprecedented nature and size to sort of have any degree of confidence how they're going to uh, shake out. But what we do know on the inflation side is we've had this very robust demand crashing into very constrained supply. And that's whether you look at the good sector through the pandemic. Uh, where you had all this sort of basic fiscal stimulus, mailing checks out to people. So people were spending like crazy because they had tons of money. 
you have the household balance sheets, the household are fantastic because of all that fiscal stimulus. Um, and so that supported this huge spurge in uh, spending on goods because you couldn't spend on services. At the same time, supply chains factories were shutting down. So that was the initial driver of that inflationary boost. And that is ebbing. First of all, the fiscal stimulus has stopped. Um, that stopped last year. So that demand aspect will be fading. And supply chains will be getting back on their feet, even if there's a few setbacks along the way. So you will start to see that goods uh, inflation rolling over, and we've started to see that in the data as well. But now it's the services side. We're shifting to services spending and going out to restaurants and travel, and they can't hire people. The labor market's tight, so you still have the services inflation aspect of the reopening playing out. But that's also going to start uh, sort of easing off as that pent-up demand rolls over as we go through the year. Um, and as labor markets open up, too more comfortable, you start to see people coming back to the job market. And then, of course, the war just you know exacerbated everything by adding the energy equation into that and the food equation into that. So we will have more elevated service inflation, goods inflation is rolling over, base effects are falling out. We look at one-year numbers, okay, for the April inflation data. It's going to be what happened in April, but also what did we drop off from a year ago? And actually, a year ago was some of the highest inflation monthly prints. So you're going to see base effects rolling off as as year ago inflation doesn't repeat itself. So we've probably peaked in inflation, but it's going to stay more elevated than previously anticipated for uh, for all the above mentioned reasons. Uh, but it will still be. And this is where knowing where the Fed action, what central banks are going to do, we really got to fast forward and say, what does the picture look like in December at year end as opposed to today? And that's where that lack of clarity in our crystal balls to knowing just how fast inflation is going to roll over or not is uh, is a key parameter to pay attention to. Uh, brilliant speak, Drummond, uh, truly. Look, we got to take one more break uh, and get back to you. Uh, the question I want you to ponder between now and the break, if you don't mind, um, is uh, listening to the market itself. Uh, and I said the market, there's multiple markets that we all follow. Uh, but the one that's most impressive to me, I'd have to say, is the, we'll say the North American equity markets. As, as, crisis to crisis, we've been bounced through uh, for the last number of years. It's one crisis after the other. Yet the market, resilient uh, like I've never seen before. Uh, I want you to comment on that when we get back. We're going to take a quick break. It's 640 in Toronto, Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, my partner. Any questions, anytime, WolfgangKlein.com. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. We're trying to dance to the music. Stay on trend. Respect the markets. Respect the direction. Uh, yet, have an opinion and be steadfast in that opinion. I'm sort of speaking out of both sides of my mouth. And what I mean by that is own good companies. Tried, true, and tested. You can sleep better at night. 
But at the same time, respect what's going on around you. Uh, you know, the, an oil stock can be a great company, but it, this could be a bad period in time to own it. The last 10 years have been a terrible time to own Suncor or CNQ, two excellent businesses. Had you held them through thick and thin, probably work out okay. But if you want to dance to the music, they're cyclical. Perhaps uh, take a break from the dance floor and come back to that floor when you're Feet are a little bit rested, shall I say. <laughs> so here we are full circle, and uh, Drum and Brodeur is with us. Uh, my friend, uh, please carry on from where we left off. Yeah, looking, looking at the, the equity market, I think this is full circle for this talk. We did, we're talking about repricing the Fed as a theme in terms of the bond market. And that's what we've played out over the course of the past quarter in the equity markets as well. Obviously, as interest rates go up, that's a headwind for equity markets. Um, you know, the interest rate, the, the uh, discount rate that you would discount your future cash flows back at. So higher interest rates would generally mean lower valuations. Keep in mind, we came into the year on, on, on record highs. That was a time to be a little bit more cautious with the S&P around 4,800. But the market has held up remarkably well as we've gone through this repricing of the Fed. Yeah, it's off 5 to 10%. If you dig down, the really speculative stuff has been decimated. There's a lot of stuff that's down 50, 60, 70% as you yep. would expect, because that stuff was mm-hmm. crazy. But going back to a good, solid company, strong cash flow, those that return cash flow, you know, cash flow to shareholders, uh, doing reasonably well. And the reason for that is that people who were repricing the Fed, the Fed's raising interest rates because the economy is doing well. It is growing. We're one of the most robust economic growth rates we've seen uh, in our careers. I mean, the U.S. grew 5.7% last year. It's slowing for a bunch of reasons, but it is still growing way above potential. And even as people are taking growth estimates down due to higher inflation and other shocks, instead of growing at 4%, maybe we'll grow at 3 But the growth potential of the U.S. is 2 so it's still growing way above its normal uh, growth path. Inflation is, you know, one person's inflation is another person's price increase. So companies <laughs> that have power and the ability to sort of put their prices up, that causes inflation, but it's very supportive of margin growth. And so when you look at the S&P 500, earnings estimates have continued to rise for 2022 as we've gone through this year. And that's when the secret the market really holding up is that earnings are continuing to come through. And so the market in the first quarter, earnings were uh, estimates were up about 5% and the market was down 5 So the market is getting cheaper, about 10% cheaper than it was, which makes sense given the higher interest rates. But we're repricing that Fed. Well, earnings still remain robust, and that's putting that floor underneath uh, yeah, sort of uh, uh, U.S. equities. And as long as earnings continue to come through, that's going to continue to sort of support. As I say, I, I, I expect that 2022 will be a grinding sideways year as you adapt to higher interest rates, and that's what we get. But it's not all bearish, but they say stronger earnings ultimately are the driver, uh, the fundamental driver for why you want to own, uh, uh, own equities. And I well, grind sideways from here. Equities outperform, but curb your enthusiasm. It's going to be modest gains with lots of bumps along the way. And that's what we've seen so far. Curb your enthusiasm from uh, an individual. We're going to call him um, Drummond Downer at the Open. You, you were like a Debbie Downer at the Open. Uh, quite negative. But uh, yeah, you're, 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 mo- you're moderating. But look, it, it makes sense. This, is a good, this has been a tough, it's been a grind of a year. 
Uh, and again, we're all coming off of you know two, three solid years in equity returns, uh, remarkably so. Uh, so you have to expect some kind of a pause. Um, did you pay a lot of attention, by the way, uh, Drummond, uh, to the presidential cycle? Uh, the third year of the presidential term tends to be the strongest equity year. Um, and the second year of the term, like clockwork, tends to be the weakest of the four uh, years. Uh, so would, coming up into the midterms in November, the market is, is poised perhaps to have a pivot in the right direction. Uh, so my, 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 my guess is we're going to probably grind for another three, four months, five months in late fall, perhaps have ourselves a decent rally. What, what, what's your thoughts on the short-term uh, action of the market? Completely consistent with that view. This grinding up sideways and higher as you adapt to higher prices, I think we the market ends up higher from here. So, you know, the gloominess in the market, I think, is um, overdone. I'm actually quite optimistic. The curb your enthusiasm was that we weren't going to see your massive double-digit returns of the past, uh, the past couple of years. It's going to be more modest returns, but equity still in that environment tend to give a positive return because we're still in that mid-cycle stage. When, uh, which is very favorable backdrop for uh, for corporate earnings um, going forward, and I don't see any sign of a recession in the next 12 months. Um, so that's uh, that is supportive. To your point, once we've digested these rate increases, and people say, "Hey, the Fed's job is done," that allows the markets to form that base to uh, to to move higher from there. Um, can, I'll ask you, and we don't, we don't have a lot of time, Drummond, but I, I got more, more questions than time for you. Um, uh, Canada over, uh, excuse me, uh, Canada over America and uh, your opinion on bank stocks. So country and bank stocks. Yeah, I like, uh, I like both. So, I mean, if we can't outperform once a decade in Canada, come on. We got to give it <laughs> prices are 100 <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's good. No, we, we've lagged. You're right. We've lagged for so long. It's it, it's it's our our day. We we outperformed last year mod- modestly, I believe, and perhaps this year as well. Correct? Makes sense. Yeah, so, so, so give us a bit of a, a stage of the cycle, but then we get down <laughs> to the, the issue. To your point, that a lot of our industries are more cyclical, and we don't have some of those real structural growth industries that uh, that that are in the uh, in the U.S. So you're going to want that sort of longer term structural growth. Uh, compounders that you can find in the uh, in the U.S., uh, which are getting uh, repriced as we as we speak, but that's setting them up for pretty attractive entry points. Uh, Drummond Brodeur, uh, Senior Vice President, Portfolio Manager, and Global Strategist uh, with a CI. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for spending uh, this evening uh, with us. It's been a delight. Uh, my son's off at Western. Jack's from Western. Uh, Western, you produce good people. Thank you. <laughs> Have a great weekend, uh, Drummond. Uh, Jack, excellent job bringing on your, your, your partner there from school. It was a real pleasure. And uh, I want to wish everyone a safe weekend. Pray for Ukraine and a quick end to the conflict. Uh, it's, it's what the world needs. God bless you. Thank you. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.